step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. TV party tonight. Oh, TV party tonight. Oh, we got Good evening. You are listening to a Rattledgen Broadcasting Premier Podcast TV party tonight. I'm your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledgen. Tonight, our favorite show is All Elite Wrestling. Full Gear, brought to you by the people at All Elite Wrestling. Coming to you live November 7th at Daly's Place in Jackson, Florida. Joining me tonight to break down Full Gear 2020 is the Adam Page to my Kenny Omega. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Chris Bailey. Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, how do you do? How do you do? How do you do? Mark Radlich, we are dancing in the streets. We are celebrating a new world here because we have a brand new AEW pay-per-view to talk about, baby. That's right. That's what that's what all the buzz is, and that's what all the people are celebrating for. AEW's got a good show. Full gear, baby. Yeah, it, you know, on paper, with the exception of maybe one or two matches, this was a really solid card and one I was, like, super looking forward to. And I'll tell you what, it was overall not bad. You know, I don't have a tremendous amount to complain about. I have some nitpicks here and there. But for the most part, especially after the dregs that was all out, like, this one felt like it moved. You know, it felt like it was was paced well. I didn't get bored necessarily. Um, If I I nodded off, it was because of my health and not because the pay-per-view was putting me to sleep. I thought they did a good job here. Me too. Straight from, let's start with the buy-in, because I actually took time and watched the buy I watched this entire show, like four and a half hours worth of uh, AEW. And you know what? Even the buy-in show, and I'm going to give these guys credit, because they, they went heavy on packages for the first part of it, but then they went to some very, very strong live interviews. There's yeah. one in particular with Eddie Kingston. And man, listen, when you're talking about professional wrestling, the one thing that you need to know is what's important, what does this company stand for? Eddie Kingston did a promo when he's facing um, John Moxley in this main event, and they asked him, you know, does he want, you know, is he going to get, you know, respect out of, uh, you know, mutilating John Moxley? And he said, the only thing that matters 
is the heavyweight championship. Yeah. And he repeated that over and over and over. He doesn't care about mutilating John Moxley. The only thing that matters is the world championship. And then they asked him about, you know, the murder hawk. You know, he's in the wings waiting for you. He said, it doesn't matter. I don't care. All I care about is the world championship, man. And I was like, this is exactly how people should be talking. And that's, mm -hmm. uh, I just loved it. And then the they started to show. The three best feuds in wrestling right now are John Moxley, Eddie Kingston, Bailey Sasha Banks, and whatever uh, Reigns and the Usos are doing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you, man. The Reigns and Usos are they're, 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 they're top of the heap in WWE. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to. When it comes to AEW, there's nothing topping Mox and uh, Kingston. Yeah. I mean, that's that's fantastic. the best. That's really been the best feud all year, and and 100%. it's and it's mostly because Eddie Kingston is probably the best promo in wrestling right now. He is the 2020 equivalent to Arn Anderson. It is exactly what you should be saying. It's exactly how a heel should be, mm -hmm. and it's great because if you're you know if you're going to throw away the rule book and say you know we're not going to have faces or heels. Eddie Kingston is the biggest baby face in wrestling right now. He's doing Austin-level promos here with this stuff. And I'll talk about a little things, a few tweaks that I would do to the the whole Eddie Kingston gimmick. But, I mean, uh, man, what a solid thing that we started out of the gate here with. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like the buy-in. Um, a couple of things I wanted to mention, and it's funny you said let's start with the buy-in because I didn't get to see the match, but I saw a lot of the promos. And you know me, I'm not the hugest fan of the of the Young Bucks, and certainly their build to their match with FTR has been lackluster, to say the least, and kind of stupid. But I like the promo they did with Excalibur, where they were like, Yes. We keep missing the boat. We keep flubbing the catch. And we felt like we had to turn inward and go back to what we used to be in order to get where we need to be. And I was like, huh, okay, I get it now. Yeah, they get it. They, they get what we get. You know what I mean? And it, it's good to hear wrestlers talking. You know, they're, they're not trying to write a storyline, you know, around what we already know. They're not trying to pull kayfabe on us. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They're incorporating just enough Vince Russo reality where we actually buy into what's going on. And then they deliver an unbelievable match. So, I mean, but I want to start with the first match on this card. We had Wait, Allison K. Before you do, versus, my yeah, favorite ahead. thing on this show, and especially the buy-in. Yep. <laughs> Was the ad like I haven't loved the build to it, but the Kenny Omega Adam Page Cinderella promo, uh, Cinderella's uh, <laughs> package you don't know what you've got till it's gone. The only thing it was missing was the iris out with a heart. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was ex these video packages, they're like they're on a level with WWE right now. I mean, yeah. they, they figured out their uh, their package right now. And when we talked about AEW first when it started, I mean, it was. It was really shaky. We didn't know how this presentation was going to look, but, man, they've got it figured out right now, mm -hmm. and they know the wrestlers and how to write them, and that's that's what you want out of competition. Yeah, I don't and, know if they were going for, like, a gay breakup, but that's, the, <laughs> <laughs> but that's the vibe I got from Adam Page and Kenny Omega, which I'm fine with. I don't really care, but, like, I'm sorry. Setting the two of them breaking up their tag team to Cinderella's don't know what you got till it's gone screamed gay breakup to me, and I loved it. I could watch. I would rather watch that package than the match, to be honest. Oh, me too. Me too. It was so. Actually, the match itself, we'll talk about that in a few minutes, but man, mm -hmm. uh, this delivered on all levels, including the gay level, which was even interesting. <laughs> I, oh, my God. I'm gay for that package. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> there you go. Well, All I'm right, go ahead and talk about the I'm, 
I'm gay for Serena Deeb versus Allison K because right. I'm a big NWA guy. And uh, I, w- I watched every single episode of NWA Power, and I got to see all these people that we're seeing, the Eddie Kingstons of the world, the uh, Thunder Rosa, and the uh, Allison K. Like, I've seen all these people come up through the ranks. And Serena Deeb had just literally debuted in NWA just prior to them going off the air. Now, she looks like Elaine from Seinfeld in amazing shape. <laughs> okay. She is – but – this was a nuts and bolts wrestling match. And the, the big difference that I see here was that and they put on a Steamboat Savage type of match out here. I mean, it was Matt Basics, but it wasn't like a regular women's match, Mark, where, you know, something is a slight off or, you know, the knife edge chop is not sunk in deep enough or the arm drag looks a little loose. This looked like Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero. I mean, everything was crisp. Everything was solid. Serena Deeb, I'm telling you right now, is a catch. And Allison Kay has been on this, uh, you know, she's been everywhere. She's been all over the map except for the big leagues. And uh, they've got Thunder Rosa, they've got Serena Deeb, and they've got Allison Kay, which all belong to the NWA. And I couldn't ask for three additions to that women's roster. This thing, and I've made a lot of complaints, and we've talked about, you know, Sheeta and the women's division looking a little soft. These three ladies are exactly what this division needs and Serena Deeb is the NWA championship she actually beat Thunder Rosa uh, on their last pay-per-view for for uh, NWA so you know uh, Thunder Thunder uh, Serena Deeb actually got the win over Allison K here really really strong match and then Thunder Rosa comes out and challenged her to a match this was this was everything it needed to be and this had no right to be on the buy-in because it was way too good all right well that brings us to our show proper which kicked off with the finals of the AEW World Championship Eliminator, Eliminator Tournament. The winner will face uh, the AEW World Champion at Revolution in February. It's on the calendar, Chris Bailey. It's on yeah. the calendar. Right. I'm all in. I'm all in. <laughs> Terrific. Um, <laughs> it's double That's AEW, <laughs> AEW speak. <laughs> um, and in our finals, we had Kenny Omega, the cleaner Kenny Omega versus Hangman Adam Page. The build-up to this, uh, other than the competition of the tournament, was that Kenny Omega was going back to his best bout machine, you know, Japanese uh, wrestling persona, and Adam Page w- was wrestling, and he was, you know, but if you look at the interview he did with Jim Ross, he he was unsure of himself, and he was kind of struggling, and um, I think he was missing the tag team, and Kenny Omega's like, nope, I'm done with that. You know, it kept me from being where I need to be, which is at the top of the singles division. So they had a match, and uh, it went about 60 minutes and 25 seconds. Uh, Kenny Omega, I mean, here's the thing. You either, there's two kinds of wrestling matches. There's there's wrestling matches where people just do stuff to each other until they hit their time mark, and then they, they do their finish, and people like that sort of thing. I don't particularly. I like a match that, you know, you work an arm, you work a leg, you tell a story with, you know, with your moves, you build to something. Um, or you can have this video game style of matches where you just do move, 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 you know, kick out, kick out, kick out, fake finish, fake finish, fake finish, false finish, and then time runs out and somebody gets pinned. Exactly. Um, and those matches can be entertaining. They can, they're certainly athletic in many cases. Um, they can be violent. They can be vicious. Um, they just don't appeal to everybody. And I think Kenny Omega and Adam Page had 
a really, really good do a bunch of moves until time runs out matches. Um, I don't think they told a really, I don't think they told a story here. I think they just kept hitting each other with shit until their, their time was up and they were told to go home. Which, if that, <laughs> which if that appeals to people, great. I was mildly entertained, but I was, again, I thought, I, I, I appreciated the package with these two because that told a story than spam, spam moves until your time's up. What do you think? So I'm going to slightly disagree with you on this one. So with all the buildup that you've had that they put into it, and they showcase it in the super gay package there at the beginning, uh, but this match started out of the gate with what you should start out of the gate with, which was extremely stiff wrestling. These two pounded the piss out of each other in this thing. And when you take a look at, um, you know, the structure of AEW and how we criticize AEW, because, you know, the thing we talk about a lot, Mark, is that it's a bunch of moves and people kick out and then we go to a finish, right? right? This was somewhat of that, but there was an aggression to it. There was a level of aggression that started out that shed said, hey, man, this is a actual feud that we're in, and we are actually trying to win and lose. It didn't look like a collection of moves, and, hey, I'm going to stand on the outside while you do, a, you do a flip on me. You know what I mean? Every clothesline had stink on it. And he actually finished them with, a, with his actual finisher, the one-winged angel, which was, which was a little surprising because you're so used to him kicking out of every single move. And just to see it actually finish like that was a little bit of a shock. So Kenny Omega which uh, recently turned heel. I mean, you, you talk about what he added to his package. So now he's got the cocky demeanor. He separated himself from his tag team partner. He's got the, the girls in bikinis with the brooms coming out as the cleaner. You know what I mean? He's added a lot of layers to his package. But he sort of goes back to basics uh, <laughs> a little bit at the end, which we'll see in another match. But uh, this one was, I don't know if I'd call Kenny Omega a heel in this one. It was just two guys having a real, you know, I'm going to beat the crap out of you, and I want to win. And that's basically what I like about wrestling. And I think that this match here was AEW saying, here's what we are about. Here's my, here's my balls on the table. And uh, I think it was a win to start the show. You don't get me wrong. I, I, it felt like a wrestling match. It felt like a struggle. It didn't feel like a gymnastics floor routine. Um, I just – could you tell me what the psychology of this match was? Psychology of this match was I'm better than you. We got a – you know, I want that world championship. And the only thing that I don't buy into is I don't buy Adam Page wanting to win that championship. It seems like it's all about Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega wants to win that belt. He wants John Moxley. And I get that, but I don't really get the sense that Adam Page wanted that. Yeah, he was stiff in the match and he wanted to fight Kenny Omega, but I didn't get a, I didn't get the vibe that he wanted to challenge for that championship. And that's that's the yeah, only yeah. Yep. And that goes back to the that goes back to the interview we had with Jim Ross, where he was like, "I don't know what I'm going to do if I lose." Whereas, yeah. you know, Kenny Omega, when he had his one-on-one with Tony Schiavone, was much more cocksure. Absolutely. All right. So this next match didn't need to be on the pay-per-view, or if it did, it needed to be in the buy-in. Oh boy, big time! This was the entire buy-in right here. I, 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 I agree with you. Why? Why do we have Orange Cassidy against? I, I don't even know the guy's name. Remind me. Uh, John Silver, Midget McGee. John, yes. <laughs> now, Ar- a good to- match overall. Tony Khan's favorite wrestler, Orange Cassidy, defeated uh, the Dork Orders, uh, John Silver, in uh, less than 10 minutes, 9 minutes and 40 seconds. I mean, it was fine. They had a modern wrestling match. Um, 
the the face got over. John Silver, I mean, I'm making fun, but John Silver is actually mildly amusing. He's one of the yeah, standout guys in the Dark Order. Um, I I kind of get a kick out of his bravado. You know, like he'll sit there and he'll flex in the ring, and he's got so much energy. <laughs> and I feel like this was well, we got to get Orange Cassidy on the card somehow because he's like our top face besides John Moxley. And John Silver's really been apparently like I don't watch Dark, but apparently John Silver is like the star of AEW Dark these days. He's really like stood out from the pack and you know and made himself a character and so this this whole match just seems like a reward for both of these guys standing out in the company it was it was whatever you know orange cassidy won i was again mildly entertained yeah and i would say that's i would agree with that i think this is the this is the women's match before the triple h match at wrestlemania you know what i mean they they gotta <laughs> they gotta they gotta bring the crowd down they gotta you know they gotta take the warmth out of the building and cool everything off because you know you just came off you know a hot brawl you know what i mean mm-hmm. so you kind of got to cool them off but i don't know if you know orange cassidy versus a member of the dark order belongs on a pay-per-view especially one of one you know of such esteem you know what i mean so orange cassidy did get the win uh, it was a fine enough match. Uh, and I want to just talk about a little bit about the Dark Order and its transformation. So, I mean. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free and Anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. From the start of it, that it was like this weird cult like thing that we didn't know who ran it. Then all of a sudden, we see that it's Brody Lee, you know, he's the leader, and he sort of changed it to almost like a business. Now these people are not only minions, you know what I mean? Because before, they were like just followers, you know what I mean? Mindless sheep who followed the Dark Order. But now you get this guy, Silver, and, I mean, he's got his own, you know, he's got his own thing going on. You know, he's flexing. He's doing, you know, his poses and his histrionics. So, you know, the Dark Order has taken a turn where it's more or less almost similar to, like, a a business type of organization than a cult. It's the NWO, but it's the NWO black and white. Oh, boy. I I mean, it almost is a step down from black and white. I mean, you know, Virgil would be the leader of this group. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Curly Joe. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the Dark Order just kind of comes across now as just a big heel stable. And slowly but surely, the jobbers, the minions, are developing their own personalities. And John Silver is developing a little faster than everybody else. But that's that's all it is. Like, the Dark Order isn't really doing anything or going anywhere. They kind of, yeah. they get high-profile matches when they need them, and then they just sort of push them off to the side when they don't. 100%. Hundred percent. I don't. I don't know where what this where this belonged, but uh, you know, I was I was not a fan. The next match was Darby Allen versus Cody Rhodes for the TNT Championship. 
less a little less than 20 minutes. Uh, Darby Allen defeated Cody Rhodes in 17 minutes. The story of this match, I love this match, by the way. The story oh, of yeah. this match was Cody Rhodes cutting off Darby Allen every step of the way and getting cocky and doing push-ups and Darby Allen getting a hope spot and running wild with it and getting the like fluke victory over Cody Rhodes to Arn Anderson's um, dis- disgust. Like Arn and like like Arn Anderson was the star of this match to me because he's sitting there like like stay on stay on target stupid like you go with the game plan and Cody Rhodes is like oh I've already beaten this kid twice I can beat him again and Darby Allen's like short and skinny and you know and his big attraction is that he murders himself in the ring he like throws himself into stuff he takes these horrible horrible bumps that make Mick Foley look like fucking Luthez and. And that's the attraction. People want to see Darby Allen kill himself. And Cody Rhodes was <laughs> like, and Cody Rhodes was like, I don't need to focus on this kid. I've already beaten him twice. And in Darby Allen, and Darby Allen got the one, two, three over Razor Ramon win. Oh, that's uh, exactly what it was. And then uh, Team Taz came out and beat the shit out of both of them. Uh, and then they got saved by Will Hobbs. So I guess that's where Ugh. we're going with this feud. But uh, I really like this match. I liked that Cody Rhodes got taken down a notch. Um, I like Darby Allen in the one two three kid uh mode, you know, where he he, he should struggle. He fucking yes. he, he should absolutely struggle. He's a short, skinny, you know, pale white dude with very little muscle tone. He shouldn't be winning matches like decisively. He should be taking advantage when the heel and Cody Rhodes was the heel in this one fucks up. And that's exactly how he right. should be winning. And so I thought this was one of the best matches on the card tonight. Oh, I agree. I agree. This probably stole the show. So think about this for a second. So remember when I said that they were the uh, the warm up. You know what I mean? It's the it's the Triple H match. It's the warm up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That that's exactly what this is because Cody Rhodes, with his name, by the way, he's actually you know, he's at, well, just one moment. Bear with me one minute. Okay, yeah. So he's the um, he's definitely the co- the uh, the Triple H of this company. So he's got his name back, and they made a big deal out of that, which was awesome. They could actually call him Cody Rhodes because WWE finally released the the entire hold over the Rhodes name. So you know he's he's finally can be Cody Rhodes, which I thought was excellent. Yeah, he so should have done. Super- he he should have done like a promo from like the Crucible because it is my name, and I may <laughs> never have another. I thought that was so, so, so well done. But, uh, yeah, so Darby Allen. So Darby Allen actually gets the win here. And uh, I think this is a payoff because I think you've got a young talent uh, who's bursting, bursting at the seams. And uh, you finally get the payoff. And Cody's actually putting this guy over. So, you know, they're trying to put this mark on Darby Allen. And I think it actually worked. Now, one of the key messages that we got here is that Cody Rhodes is slowly slipping away from the grip of Arn Anderson. So Arn Anderson's his coach, and it's almost like Cody doesn't want to listen to Arn. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So they've been slowly twisting the uh, twisting the knot on this one. So I'm, I'm looking forward to where this ends up. And, uh, you know, you got Goldust and that other guy, QT Marshall, who's doing their own thing, which we'll get in a little bit later on that we're going to see on Dynamite. But I think this was a really, really, really strong match, probably my favorite, most entertaining match of the entire card. I thought Darby Allen. 
uh, look to step up. I think you got a you got a real talent there, and I think they should go emphasize more of his character. You know, people can make fun of the skateboard all they want, but I think the goth skateboarder is like uh, you know Marvel's Ghost Rider. It, it's money, man. You know what I mean? So good on them for making a change. We got a brand new champion, so I'm interested to see where uh, where Cody goes from here. Yeah, Darby Allen, I think connects with um, with a lot of the fans out there. I think his look is something that people that appeals to people. I think the you know life is pain sort of thing you know definitely appeals to a part of the demographic. So I think they have a star in Darby Allen. I think more so than like Orange Cassidy, like Darby Allen legitimately connects with the fans. And I think they I think if they handle him right, um, if they you know if, if over the next few months he, he holds on to the TNT Championship, you know, and like legit, you know, and has these come from behind babyface victories over, um, what's his face Starks, oh, um, yeah. and uh, Brian Cage and some of these other guys, you know, uh, the, the, the Murder Hawk, you know, I really think that like by this time next year, Darby Allen, you know, will be a main event player. Like, I could see them putting the, the, at some point, the AEW title on him if they handle him right. 100% agree with you. 100%. So, I, th- I think it's going to be interesting because I don't, I think this feud is over. I don't mm-hmm. think we're going to see any more Cody Rhodes versus Darby Allen. And, uh, you know, they've had three matches already, like key major matches. They probably had more than that. But, you know, Cody has, you know, snuck the win on him twice. And finally to see Darby go over, I think, was a big, big deal. So. I think a big win on this one, and I think we got a lot of future storylines that we don't know where it's going, and I kind of love that. Yeah, Darby Allen's already in a feud. He's in a feud with Team Taz. Yes. <laughs> we're, we're good. Yes, I know. It's built in. So, I mean, mm. to, to veer back into the whole field where, uh, you know, you're fighting Cody Rhodes, it was a little odd because I just thought that, you know, you continue the Team Taz versus Darby thing, but I, I, I dig it. All right. Um, and in the actual women's match uh, that cool down before you go to the big match, Hikaru Shida, who is your AEW Women's Champion, defeated Nyla Rose with, excuse me, Vicky Guerrero. 14 minutes, 10 seconds. This was probably five minutes too long. And uh, the, the psychology of this match was Nyla Rose, who's a big, who's a big gal, kept working <laughs> Hikaru Shida's leg. And so Hikaru Shida's offense was sort of cut off because she didn't have uh, a strong leg to stand on. So Hikaru Shida had a come-from-behind babyface victory with an injured leg over the much bigger uh, beast of a woman, Nyla Rose. Again, it was too long. It needed to be about 10 minutes. Um, and I don't understand the ending where Vicky Guerrero went off on Nyla Rose and Nyla Rose just took it. Yes, I know. Uh, this looked like it was going to be the departure of that unit. You know what I mean? It looked yeah. like it was going to be the Andre the Giant, you know, WrestleMania six, Bobby Heenan, you know, paintbrush incident. But nope, we didn't get that. We just got Nyla Rose being basically emasculated, literally. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I don't understand why they keep doing that to her. They have like 106 girls in this company, but they abuse Nyla Rose. Oh, it, it makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, so, I mean... Hikaru Shida, I mean, she's getting another win over Nyla Rose. I mean, you know, you, you've basically put Nyla Rose into a point where she's not even marketable anymore as a, right. as a killer. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's too absolutely. many losses now, and there she's has to up, come a She's point. absolutely denuded. She's just, yes. she has no balls, <laughs> literally. literally. Um, <laughs> she... <laughs> Like she's not a she she's not an intimidating threat anymore. Like when she first she she was like the awesome Kong of this company, 
a year ago, and now it's like, like who can't beat her? Everybody yeah, can I mean, beat Nyla Rose. Yeah, you don't even have to have her as the champion, but you could definitely have her as a wrecking ball. You know what I mean? So if you're not going to put the belt on her, like make a Vicky Guerrero a stable. You know what I mean? And have mm-hmm. her as like the killer and behind the scenes, like building someone else up. You can always do that, and you keep Nyla Rose strong. But instead, you're continually having her lose. And not only that, she's losing to like weird stuff. Like I mean, being completely knocked out. I mean, this woman is losing. It's this is not someone who gets a quick roll up and this, these type of things. These are like straight out losses and multiple losses to the same person. So. Don't know where we're going here, but uh, they got a lot of work to rebuild Nyla Rose and Hikira Shida, once again, the champion, which is suspect as best. And I wonder where our NWA girls are going to fit in with the whole, you know, we got two belts circulating in AEW. I mean, the NWA Women's Championship is defended more in AEW than the AEW title is, so figure that out. I would rather them unify the NWA title with the AEW Women's title and have Serena D be at the head of the division. Your lane from Seinfeld is money, I'm telling you. <laughs> All right. In nearly a half an hour, the Young Bucks finally defeated FTR. Um, this was a stupid buildup up until the inter- interview with Excalibur. Yep. They, you had basically like a heel Young Bucks versus a heel FTR. Uh, they did the thing where if the Young Bucks didn't win, they would not challenge. Not even for, while well, FTR had it, which was at least the stipulation Cody Rhodes made with Chris Jericho. But, um, they were like, they would never, just never challenge for the tag team titles again. <sighs> dumb so I'm not, dumb I'm not, stipulation right away. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. There were parts of this match I kind of dozed off during. Um, that's not the match's fault. That's That just has to do with, it was a work night, and I was nursing my jaw. But, Tell me, you watched this whole match and you paid attention to the whole thing, so maybe I just missed parts of it. But it, did it seem to you like this was not the revival of old in this match? Like, th- this is the team of no flips, just fists. And they were doing flips. They were doing flips. They lost off a flip. That part <laughs> I did Literally, see. they lost off a flip. <laughs> like, I don't know if that's... Uh... That's supposed to be irony or, uh, you know, what it meant. But uh... the thing about the revival was that they were like the mid to late 80s, early 90s tag team specialists. They were in and out fast. They did a lot of tandem moves. They, you know, they they worked as a unit. The, the revival matches in NXT had a dynamism about them that made them some of the best things going in NXT at the time they were happening. And... It felt like none of that was present in this match. It oh, felt, absolutely agree. It felt like this just felt like your average AEW tag team match. It just went on forever. And then they lost yeah. to, to, to a thing they don't do. <laughs> this was built as a uh, as a dream match. I mean, this this is what all the tag team wrestling in AEW has built to because this this feud with the revival against uh, the Young Bucks has been going on since the beginning before the boys even made it to the federation you know what i mean mm-hmm. i mean this this was you know an internet feud and finally you know you had the revival show up uh but nothing ever happened like these matches these aren't those are not even the nxt quality that they had with like teams like american alpha or anything like that or you know do you know do it yourself or whatever the team was i mean this is a neutered version of this team and I've heard that they're not happy with the build 
And I think these guys get a little bit cranky when things don't go their way. You know, oh, I don't want to dress up as a sultan and fly into the ring on a, you know, a flying carpet, Vince McMahon. I don't want to do that. And, and all <laughs> of a sudden, I think we're seeing cranky revival here in AEW, and I think they're being treated like that as well. So I'm not sure. I did enjoy the match. Now, let, let's be clear. There, there yeah, was the a lot of good wrestling here. And there was good yeah. psychology with Matt's leg. But this wasn't... This felt like the Young Bucks versus Two Dudes. This didn't feel yes. like the Young Bucks versus the Revival. You got it right on the money. There's, It definitely didn't... Like, it didn't build up to its own hype. And, I mean, these guys hyped this match. They had a lot of different segments that built into it. I mean, nobody can say that the build... You know, they didn't invest in the build because they certainly did... But, you know, they, they banned Tully Blanchard from ringside right away. So, you know, you took away that level of storyline. Um, you know, you had a stupid stipulation, which basically foretold the ending anyway. You know, the Young Bucks never going to be able to challenge for the, the tag titles ever again. I mean, right away I was like, okay, Young Bucks win somehow. Yeah. And, the, and they took away the belts off, you know, these guys right away. I mean, how many defenses have they had? Two? Three? Mm-hmm. Max? Not a few on Dynamite. Yeah. But I think I think it was at what double or nothing or all out yes. was it all out or double or nothing that they won the uh, the tag titles from Page and Omega. Yeah, the, the last pay per view was it not? Okay, it was all out. So that was the two three months ago. Yeah. So I mean, they barely had a championship run, and right away they lose to the Young Bucks. So I man, I I just don't really know what to think of it. Like the match itself is competent enough. So if I'm if I'm ranking this match out of five stars, it's going to get a, a solid three three point five. That, that's all you're yeah. squeezing out of this one. You know what I mean? Yep. Because, because I'm not invested in it, Mark. And we should have been way, way more invested. But like you said, it's not the same team that they're fighting here. So I don't know what the missing element is, but uh, there's something just not clicking here with this team. So here's my Jim Cornette quote of the night. Oh, here we go. <laughs> um, Jim Cornette said of the revival, if they come in and they can get the tag teams to do their stuff and they can teach them and slow them down, then the Revival will be a really great addition to AEW. If they come in and they just want to get go along to get along and they're doing everybody else's stuff, then they're not the Revival anymore and there's no point in having them in AEW. They're just two dudes. 100% and le- agree. And, and this, this match was a shining gold star example of the latter. <laughs> You're right. It, it's a shame because this... You know, when you look at this card on paper, this match should be the top of the pile. You should look at this match and go, okay, that is definitely going to be the best match on this card. We're guaranteed, you know, uh, a four or five star tag match. And it wasn't. And it's a real shame. But our Young Bucks are the world tag team champions again. Mm -hmm. And then something weird happens. Kenny Omega, who has been a heel, who's been a heel on his own, comes out and he celebrates with the Young Bucks. So now we got Bullet Club back together which is really really strange like the elite are back together and it's really really odd because they've they've done so much work separating these two teams now all of a sudden they're just they're just back together and everything is archie again which is really really strange this is why jim Cornette refers to aew as all friends wrestling (laughs) well it is it's true (laughs) all right um can we stop with the cinematic matches now. Oh, yes. Yes, please. They've reached their expiration date uh, a year ago. I mean, first of all, Matt Hardy, please retire. Go away. You are <laughs> a cancerous tumor on, on, in wrestling. You, you worked on ev- the ass of society. 
you make everything around you that much worse. Oh. Uh, just go home and paint or something. Write a book. <laughs> I, I <laughs> don't with, want to read that bookmark. <laughs> work, work with children. Find another place for your art, for your ideas and your artistic uh, talents because you make wrestling so much more more worse than it needs to be. Oh, ouch! You, I, I, I take it you're not going to be selling Matt Hardy, Matt Hardy T-shirts out of your basement. Uh, no, I'm getting that vibe. Him and his brother need to just go away. <laughs> Remember when we were super happy at WrestleMania 33 when that Dude, Hardy Boys music came in? With Remember can- with cancer and <laughs> exhaustion <laughs> and everything else? I was yelling "Delete, delete, delete!" in Orlando yeah, when they showed up at WrestleMania. I was literally in the same building with you doing the same thing. Now I want them to de- delete themselves. <laughs> Please, permanent delete. Like go Sammy... to that recycle bin and go empty recycle bin permanently. Yes. Are they still? I do. Is is this feud with Matt Hardy punishment for Sammy Guevara making the rape comment about Sasha Banks? It has to be because it's punishment for us. I don't know what we've done to deserve it as fans, but <laughs> I'm just over the. I'm over cinematic matches. I'm over like overly stupid, stupid shit on in wrestling. I'm over like. I'm over the Benny Hill style comedy. Yes. Like once in a while, it was funny. Like like I said, Money in the Bank when it was the only thing, and it and there wasn't a lot of this happening yet. I didn't mind it as much. Me neither. Now it seems like it's happening every other show, and I'm just like, okay, it, you've done it too much now. No more putting yes. the pie, no more pie in the face. You have to come up with something else. So this whole elite deletion match was garbage. Everyone is dumber for having watched it. I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul. Oh my. So so for the folks who haven't seen it, I, got, I actually got to recap what happened here. So it happens on the Hardy compound and like Mark said, it's a cinematic match. So Sammy Guevara comes in on a golf cart with Sam with uh, I can't remember what he had on there, a Spanish God or something right on the front of it. And he gets run over right away with Matt Hardy and the monster <laughs> truck. Now, I, now, I'm not making this up. This is exactly what happened. Um, you know, then they then they have a brawl through the woods where they're pounding the crap out of each other. Then they all of a sudden find Hurricane Helms. Now, for the fans who haven't, you know, are, don't follow these Matt Hardy cinematic matches, a few years ago in TNA, they did a storyline in one of these cinematic matches where Shane Helms was abducted. He went to the WWE, and he never, ever paid it off. And they paid it off here. So they actually freed Shane Helms. So in the middle of this match, they stop, and Shane Helms and Matt Hardy has a discussion. Man, what took you so long? He said, I had to leave WWE for us to pay off this storyline. Then to go back into the match. And, you know, Shane Helms gets the crap beat out of him. He gets thrown into the the, uh, lake of reincarnation, and he comes back as Gregory Helms, the mild-mannered reporter. And then everybody fights in a wrestling ring. You get, I mean, you get... You get uh, what's the the party guys? What's their names? God tell me. Uh, Mark Wen and yes. uh, Isaiah Cassidy. Yeah, so they're in there, and all of a sudden, for some reason, they're fighting LAX or Santana, Santana and Ortiz in the middle of the ring, and then Gangrel shows up. So now we have Hurricane Helms. We have uh, <laughs> we have uh, uh, Gangrel. 
we have, you know, the uh, the party guys, and we have LAX, or you know, Santana and Ortiz. They're all wrestling in this match. Sammy Guevara and Matt Hardy end up inside the arena. They have a vicious bump, and I mean a vicious fall off a very intensely big ladder. And I mean, this is out, absolutely outrageous how big this thing is. Sammy busts his head open. Matt takes a chair and knocks him into the middle the next week, gets the win. They throw Sammy in a garbage can, and his father-in-law carries him away in the car. They all celebrate in front of the compound, and uh, Matt Hardy's wife plays piano to, to sign us out, and it is the weirdest fucking thing I've ever seen, and I hope this is the very, very end of the Broken Universe because, uh, you know, if that didn't make sense, what I'm saying, it didn't make sense for us watching it either, and by God, this is hopefully it. Yeah, that was 20 minutes of my life I want back. Oh, man. I mean, even me talking, I feel bad that the, these words were wasted in this context. <laughs> and I like Sammy Guevara. Um, you know, I, I actually I, I find him to be an entertaining wrestler. But, like, his attachment to Matt Hardy in this whole feud has done nothing for him. Nothing whatsoever. Oh, man. Like, uh, actually, you know what? What's, what's funny about this and the same thing with the Darby Allen match both of these feuds are older feuds. So this Sammy Guevara, like Guevara has actually moved on to a feud with um, MJF. Right. Like they did the whole ring jacket thing. So for them to go back to this feud seems a little seems a little odd. Same thing with the uh, Darby Allen and Cody Rhodes thing. So, I mean, some of these feuds <laughs> feel outdated by the time we're actually getting to see them on air. So before we talk about MJF versus Chris Jericho, I want to talk oh. about this feud. But before we talk about this feud, I want to talk about a specific bit that they did. <laughs> I got a funny feeling. Well, I know what you're going to say. Le steak dinner debonair. <laughs> Which was, and listen, I'm going to call it, before you even make your opinion, I'm going to say that that was brilliance. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand what's, here's the thing. Like, I get the, they're trying to one-up each other. So the, you know, I, so the steak going from well done to mooing um, as a way of like showing each other up. It was overdone, no pun intended, and it went on forever, but I at least understood these two egomaniacs trying to outdo each other. I didn't understand the point of the song. I'm not saying I wasn't entertained, because who doesn't like Broadway? Who doesn't like a song and dance number, right? I mean, and that's the thing, like, you know, maybe my second Jim Cornette reference of the night. You know, Jim Cornette wants wrestling, and Brian Lass for that matter, they want wrestling on their wrestling show. They don't want zombies and nonsense. I'm not Jim Cornette. If you put something on TV that I'm entertained by and it makes me laugh, I'm not going to be angry at laughing. I'm going to be happy because laughter is happiness. Laughter is joy. So if you put something on TV that isn't on wrestling that isn't wrestling and I'm not entertained, I'm going to criticize it. Hence the elite deletion match. If you put something on TV that I'm at least mildly entertained by that isn't wrestling, I'm not going to bitch about it either. He, my, my issue with the, with the steak dinner and the song was I didn't... Like, the song is called Me and My Shadow, and to a degree, I get the point, but in the telling of the story... I didn't really understand why they were doing a duet. Like, no. like there is a way for them to have done that 
you know, and like if they had done anything you can do, I can do better. I'm with it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that makes sense to me. Something along the lines of anything you can do, I can do better. I I would have gotten shit. Had they done sisters from white Christmas, I might've laughed even harder, but the me and my shadow thing didn't make a tremendous amount of sense to me. And maybe I'm missing something. I was entertained. It was funny, but I don't know what it added to their story of why MJF wants to be in the inner circle. And why does MJF want to be in the inner circle? He was, he's, he's got a flunky. He's got his own thing going. Chris Jericho's inner circle is Chris Jericho in a bunch of flunkies standing around him to keep him from having to take losses. That's all the, that's, that's, that's the purpose of a stable. So why does MJF need to be in the inner circle? I don't understand, Chris. No, this, it, it really doesn't really make a lot of, lot of sense. But the only thing that I can see is that MJF wants to position himself at the top of the card. So he's going to jump on any act or any talent that he considers to be the top of the food chain. Now, he's already lost to John Moxley. You know, he's already taken his beatings from, uh, from different folks on the, on the card, like Cody Rhodes and different things. So what other well is he going to jump on? So he's going to jump on the Jericho train. He's the next big shot in line that he wants to take on. So I think the whole thing is that he wants to take away from this legend the one thing that he has left, which is, you know, which is this inner circle gimmick. So, you know, I guess the whole thing we're going to see here now, we're going to see a, um, you know, a Dwayne Johnson take over from Farouk on the Nation of Domination. You know what I mean? We're going to see, you know, MJF try to somehow incorporate his way to the top of the inner circle and take over and, you know, finally kick poor old uh, Jericho down the curb. You so know what people I think, forget about I think that? That's where we're headed. Is The Rock joining the Nation of Domination destroyed the Nation of Domination? Yes. Everybody exactly. went and did their own, you know, Farouk, they, they threw Farouk out unceremoniously, and then, then, Dilo, and then shortly thereafter, um, Mark Henry became sexual chocolate, Yep. and then uh, Dilo Brown, Brown became, went his own way, Yep. and Kama became the godfather. Yes. So, so it all worked out in the end, so maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe this is uh, AEW's way of, uh, you know putting the final check mark on the inner circle. But I think what's going to eventually happen is that I, th- I think the, the group will dissolve because I think you've got, uh, you know, you've got a lot of talent that I think this gimmick has, you know, finally worn itself out. And I think Jericho as their leader has worn itself out. So the only thing left to do basically is to put Jericho on the shelf for a little while and have him return under a new, some sort of gimmick. Good. Maybe they can put Jericho uh, on a diet while they're at it. Cause Jericho's fat. Oh, oh man. This Jericho match, has, I was, like, dad I, I, body central. I was looking forward to this match because I, I really like MJF, and Chris Jericho used to be in shape and could wrestle. Yep. Um, Otis is more in shape than Chris Jericho. I don't understand it because every single time, like, he's he's must be on some sort of, yo, uh, you know, yo-yo diet because there was a scene on Dynamite, I recall, where he was just wearing a sports jacket. And, you know, he showed off his abs, and he looked in great shape. This guy looks thick. like, like He's thick like a phone book here. Mm-hmm. Like he, he's got a really, really, really thick midsection. You know, his face is bloated. Like he's taking like a bag of steroids. His hair is falling out in the back. He's got that whole, you know, Shawn Michaels, let's cross over the weave and flip the hair over the top to keep it, you know, from looking like a bald dude. I mean, he, he's literally falling apart physically at the seams. And uh, I think that he needs some time off. And yeah. I think they need to refresh the gimmick. And I think that's where we're headed here. 
Yeah, I think MJF is the virus that destroys the inner circle, which is fine yep. with me. Um, and where do you go from there? The feud against the Wardlow. Yeah. But, yeah, Chris Jericho took what... And I blame Chris Jericho for this. He took what could have been an athletic competition and just, like, this was hard to watch because he's fat and out of shape and couldn't keep up with MJF and couldn't do anything. Yep. Like, the the Lionheart Chris Jericho is dead. And oh, this... And buried. I'm, I'm trying to think of, like, an old fat wrestler who could barely move around the ring because that's what he reminded me of. Yeah, he was... Uh... Well, well, well past his prime here. It's 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 Horace really, Hogan. Really... He was Horace <laughs> Hogan level. Oh, Horace Hogan! Memories just, of Nitro. Just lumbering around the the ring, can't do shit. Can't keep up with whoever he's wrestling. Just awkward. <laughs> it 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 is, and you know what? He's adapted his style too, so he's self aware what's going on with him. So you know, there's a reason why you don't see as many lion salts. And now he did pull out like a Frankensteiner-style move here, which was sort of interesting at his size. Um, but for the most part, I mean, he's adapted his finisher. He's got the Judas effect, which is basically, you know, a, a rolling back spinning elbow. You know what I mean? So he's yeah. not doing these high-flying moves. So Jericho's all about adaptation anyway, and I think he's the king of that, changing his gimmick. But I think right now he's adjusting to his physical abilities, which is a shame because I think he knows he's not Lionheart anymore. And, you know, he's got to figure out this next round of what his, you know, his final days in wrestling look like. And hopefully it doesn't look like this much longer. You know, Jerry Lawler wrestled well into old age, but Jerry Lawler wasn't like a physical specimen either. Jerry oh. Lawler was a brawler. So yes. Jerry Lawler really never lost a step as he got older. He No, he was because his style was adaptable. Yeah, right. yeah, he was adaptable. That style fit any any version of wrestling you had. He wasn't, you know, doing planches to the outside and all that type of stuff. It was a fist drop and, you know, uh, you know, a solid right fist. That's basically, and a pile driver. That was Jerry Lawler. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, so I'm not blaming Jericho's age. I'm, I'm, Jericho's out of shape. Jericho is not, there are fat guys, I brought up Otis before. There are fat guys who can keep up. There are fat guys who can go for 20 minutes in a ring and not get blowed up. Chris Jericho is not that guy right now. Chris Jericho, I'm like, I'm, I, Jericho, Jericho's in my shape. <laughs> That's terrible. He's, you know what? It's, and, it's, and a few months ago, I was getting winded walking from my computer to the bathroom. <laughs> That's not a good thing, bro. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like Lesnar. Remember when, like, everybody looks at Brock Lesnar, and I mean, he's just this massive, massive human being. Oh, but dude, he had... when he came back and fought Cena and looked like Porky Pig. Yes. <laughs> oh, you know what? Okay, I'll tell you what Jericho reminds me of. He reminds me of Shane McMahon when he was ready to explode. There's been times when Shane McMahon has wrestled, and I think it was The Undertaker, where his blood pressure was so high, he looked like he was literally going to spontaneously combust. Yeah, he looked like Grimace. Yes, like, <laughs> if he blew up on the screen, nobody would be surprised. You'd see his sneakers <laughs> and his jersey in the middle of the ring, and that would have been it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Shane, he just blew up. We, we knew it was coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jer Jericho is not gonna. And Jericho is gonna end up like dying of a stroke in the ring unless he gets into better shape. Anyway, so the match itself, the finish was 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 great with the bat. Oh yeah, and, oh and, yeah, and MJF faking being hit and everything, and then the roll up. I thought that was great. Um, and I and I also liked that they celebrated. You know, Jericho said, "Okay, yeah, you're a member of the inner circle, so let's celebrate." So then they did the you know multiple shots of you know MJF inside the. Uh, 
you know, inside the group, and they they posed together, they raised their hands, and you know, everybody went along their way. So, you know, at least we know they're accepting. They just didn't walk out and storm off and all that type of stuff. You know, they physically made him part of the inner circle, which was fine touch. Yeah, not a great match though. No, no, absolutely not. Definitely not. Big uh, miss on this one. Yeah. All right, John Moxley took on Eddie Kingston in a death match. Um, they called it an I quit match. It was a death match. It was a death match. We did tax. We did barbed wire. We did bat, barbed wire bat. Um, we did chairs. We did hideous uh, ring gear. Yeah. Wow. Ed- Eddie Kingston definitely works as a promo. Eddie Kingston, when he, like, his look, uh, E.T., he just looks out of shape. Let me tell gross. let me tell you what you do with Eddie Kingston. He comes out to the ring. He's got a pair of these um, uh, like cargo pants. He's got the work boots on, and he's got the white beater shirt and the you know that headpiece. And that's what he comes to the ring with. That's what you do with Eddie Kingston. That's his look. You don't have him look trying to look like Kenta Kabashi out there with this green. Like he looked like a turkey out there in the middle of that ring with that on. He came to the ring looking tough as nails. You know like, why mean? is he wearing the same ring gear as the Street Profits? <laughs> it's terrible. And he has this he has this large gut and unapolog- unapologetically large. Right. You know what I mean? He he's not in shape. He's not like trying to be Chris Jericho where you know he's still trying to look in shape. He's just not even hiding it. He just don't when, care. When he showed up and wrestled uh C- Cody Rhodes, he wore uh, pants tights, and then he wore yep. the singlet, and he was yes. fine. Absolutely. He but didn't instead, need the basketball shorts. The basketball shorts were hideous. So you, you just put a pair of pants on the guy. Like, you know, just look at Moxley. He's not going around with a Speedo on and, like, knee pads and different things like that, and neither did Eddie Kingston. Uh, you know what? The package on Eddie Kingston is a problem because it, it it's marketability that makes a wrestler. And he's got every single piece. He's got full command of that mic. He can go in the ring. He doesn't care about death matches. He can work every single one of them. But then you look at the guy and you go, oh, he's not a star because he's in these Kenta Kabashi green stupid basketball shorts. And I think that really detracted from him, man. Uh, and not only that, so John Moxley won and he basically made him tap out. You know what I mean? It was really yeah, well, he, he, he put barbed wire in his face. One moment. Yep. I'll, I'll keep going here. So John Moxley defeated Eddie Kingston in an I Quit match in 17 minutes and 35 seconds. Um, again, if you've watched No Holds Barred, the, the deathmatch uh, series, or if you've watched any kind of like game-changer wrestling events, deathmatches kind of all... I mean, they, they get silly at times, but it's it's a lot of slamming guys through tables and slamming guys through doors and hitting them with things and barbed wire and jumping into stuff and that's what they did um the story of this match was basically john moxley's better than eddie kingston but eddie kingston wouldn't give up and they had to keep brutalizing each other and they had to keep upping the ante and eddie kingston wouldn't give up and then finally john moxley had to do something had to do something so brutal that Eddie Kingston didn't have a choice. Yes. And so this was kind of like the I Quit match with Jay Uso and Roman Reigns where... Um, and I, I talked about... When I talked about that match, I talked about how, how like, I wish... Like, if you're going to make somebody say, I quit, put them in a submission. Don't yes. keep knocking them out. That's counterproductive. Um, 
and that's what he did. He he put him in that like that that front face choke, but he did it with the barbed wire. And Eddie Kingston was just out of gas at that point. Was like, I give up. I don't know what else to do. Exactly um, right. The, kind of like the Young Bucks and FTR. If you don't like death matches, you're gonna hate this match. If you <laughs> if you're like me and you find death matches entertaining. This was not as ridiculous and long and over the top as the one he had with Kenny Omega at Revolution. Um, this oh. was a this was about right. It could have been a little bit shorter, as a matter of fact. I would have knocked two three minutes off of this. But overall, um, it was a fine death match, and I think a fine end to Eddie Kingston and John Moxley's story. I'm looking forward to. And then Kenny Omega came out. I'm looking forward to John Moxley having a wrestling match with Kenny Omega, and I really like the way they handled that because Kenny Omega was like, "I'm not doing this. We did it once. It was not fun for me. I'm the best bout machine, not the best deathmatch machine. You, you can it. have it. When we wrestle, we're having a wrestling match, and I think that's a great story to tell with John Moxley and Kenny Omega if if they really tell that story of you're a garbage wrestler, I'm a wrestler wrestler." And I'm going to beat you because you can't beat a wrestler. You can only win garbage matches. What's funny about Moxley is that he's got the Ric Flair thing going because I honestly think that every single time you see a Moxley match that you always feel that there's a danger of him losing the match. You don't, like, I, I honestly, I didn't expect Eddie Kingston to, to uh, roll over him or anything in this match, but every single match and every single feud, I always picture him dropping the belt in some form or fashion to somebody. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that's what kept Ric Flair on top for so long because you always thought, no matter who he fought, that there was a danger that he was going to drop that strap to, you know, Ron Garvin or Barry Windham. You know what I mean? You mm-hmm. always thought that. And it's sort of reverse here because you got a good guy who's, you know, had the belt for a long time, in, you know, in, in our, our today's wrestling anyway. So, you know, do you think it's Murder Hawk? Do you think it's going to be Kenny Omega? Like, who is going to be the guy who pop, finally pops him off? I don't know. But where do we go with Eddie Kingston? Let's talk about that for a second. What what do you do with him after this? Um, I mean, I think he occasionally wrestles a match, but he's managing uh, the Lucha Brothers and the Butcher and the Blade. So just Ugh. have him keep doing that. Oh, that would be a shame. I think I think the guy's a, a super talent, and I think you need to go to the next level with him. I would be, I would be okay with him completely annihilating Darby Allen after his next feud. Yeah, just take that strap. I think that belt, that TV belt, is built for him. Yeah, I would say maybe a feud with Darby Allen. The problem is Darby Allen's in the middle of a feud with with Team Taz. Oh um, yeah, you sort of you sort of got to cool Kingston off. I I think I think you got to separate it, like you said, have him do his manager thing, have keep him in the eye, you know what I mean, of the of the crowd. If and, I was uh, booking AEW on Dynamite on Wednesday, I would have the Inner Circle and MJF come out. I would have them do like a big, you know, like best friends hug. Yep. Um, and then I would have Eddie Kingston and his group come out there with bats and pipes and beat the shit out of all of them. Oh, man, listen, you just you just sold the ticket because I would buy that because that would be similar to what WWE is doing with Hurt Business right now because mm-hmm. every single time you get to see that poor God-blessed retribution in the ring and you see the Hurt Business come down, I'm like, yeah, I'm loving every minute mm-hmm. of this TV watching right here, and I would love to see that yeah, because I... every single member of that crew – including Butcher and the Blade. I kind of dig those guys now that mm-hmm. they've wrapped up with uh, Kingston. So, it's cool. You know, I would say, I would want to see Eddie Kingston kind of look at the, like, like okay, well, I couldn't beat Moxley, but I can beat Jericho. I can, yep. you know, this little whippersnapper, MJF, I've had enough of him. 
You guys oh, are taking up my so TV good. time. Can you imagine those promos? That would be unbelievable. I think you. I think you just wrote the story. Like somebody steal this idea right from Mark Radledge. <laughs> well, you know, the joke 9, here in the Radledge, the Radledge <laughs> Broadcasting Network is there's always an intern listening to some some. You know, usually it's a movie company, but you know, there's always interns listening to my show stealing my ideas. Well, you just sold me a ticket to AEW. If you, if they, if they go with that, I'm buying a ticket and flying somewhere. COVID be damned. <laughs> <laughs> Jacksonville, here I come. Jacksonville, here I come. Um, I think overall, this was the best show of the year from AEW. Yes, 100%. And it was definitely up there with best shows of the year. I mean, yeah. WWE has really picked up their game in the last few, uh, you know, few pay-per-views that they've had. But uh, AEW has sort of been, I would call them stagnant a little bit. And I think this brought them up a level. I think we're and I, and I'm excited to see new chapters because I think this clued up a lot of the the loose tangents that they've had in the COVID era. And I think we're getting some crowds back, so it's time for some fresh feuds, some fresh talent. And yeah, they I'm had a thousand people up. in the audience, according to the wiki. Yes, which was great, and you could hear them. You mm-hmm. could hear them. I mean, when Jericho came out, they sang his theme song, which I love, by the way. Great ideas. Not since Sandman was you know a song so over, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. You got the rise of the NWA people. Like you got Ricky Sparks, who is wicked in that ring, like one of the top high flyers in the business. You got Eddie Kingston. You got the women. I mean, there's a lot of talent on that roster that's just waiting to explode. And I can't wait to see, you know, what they bring to the table. You talked about Dark before. Take two hours and watch Dark. There's about 500 matches on every two-hour Dark show. <laughs> I'm I'm telling you the truth. The amount of talent that drips off that show is ridiculous. So. That's a plug for AWE or AEW, I should say. So go ahead and watch Dark, people. All right, folks. Um, so that's our coverage of AEW Full Gear. The next time Chris and I will be reviewing wrestling will be Survivor Series. Survivor Series takes place November 22nd. We will review it on Tuesday, November 24th. At least yeah, that's when it's scheduled. It. We could do it the day before. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? We will get that thing in. We we just brought this one early because we you know we wanted to talk about it so bad. There you go. That's what that's what I'll stick with. But I'll tell you, uh, Chris and I are actually going to be bringing back something that I actually miss doing. I quit doing it due to health reasons and due to COVID and um, lack of ability to find a consistent boxing uh, co-host. But uh, I really miss doing the boxing commentaries, yep. and we're going to bring that back one time for Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr. on November 28th. Oh, I cannot wait. I've already bought the pay-per-view. Oh, all right. Well, I'll talk to you about a way so I can pirate it. I mean, uh, that we could uh, watch it together. I mean, yeah. Yeah, Pay money for that, people. Damn you. (laughs) All right, Chris, go ahead and plug your stuff. All right, my man. Well, we got a lot of exciting stuff. So this week you're going to see the Super Book Club team up. We're actually going to have Bitterroot, which is an image comic series, which got some mixed results. But I guarantee it was a fun little article, and that's going to get posted this week. Uh, you're also going to see Superblog team up return in December. So we got a big plan coming up. I'm going to send the rollout of the, uh, the uh, topics to vote on this week over for our team, and uh, we'll reveal that a little bit later, what we can expect. And something that nobody saw coming, I've actually got my own podcast coming out. How about that? I already oh, wow. got one episode in the can, and it's called The Superhero Satellite. It's my own solo show, and it's going to be it's going to be done like the trade. So it, there's going to be like four episodes blocks. 
and it's going to be similar to like a box set and it's going to be like a series of seasons so it's going to be podcasting a little bit different uh, each four episodes are going to have like a consistent theme they're going to be a little bit of comics a little bit of toys they'll have some special guests mixed in there and uh, I think I'm having a little bit of fun so I'm going to do some uh, selfish podcasting and it feels good brother <laughs> I still miss you guys though so there you go uh, last week, myself and Christian reviewed Hellstorm, Some of Satan, Equinox. Um, Robert Winfrey and Andrew Graham did a really, really good live election uh, podcast. I was not able to be on it because I was having technical difficulties, and then I threw a tantrum, and then I just said I didn't want to do it anymore. Well, um, you guys had an election. Did yeah. I didn't hear. <laughs> I, I, all these people were dancing in the streets. I just thought it was for AEW. Um. Yep, we had an election. We'll see what happens with it. I mean, they say Biden. How, how did that end? <laughs> they say Biden is the president, but you know, lawsuits and stuff. So who knows? Uh, hey, I don't get excited. Just, just as long as you have your lawsuit at the Four Seasons uh, landscaping area, that's all you got to remember. I, I don't get emotional about stuff like this. You know, whoever won, I was like, okay, well, let's see what you do. Um, but but I have to say, Robert Winfrey's a really smart guy, really knowledgeable. Andrew Graham is very affable and very knowledgeable. And they did an excellent job of covering the uh, the states being called as they were being called and filling in with a lot of really fun and interesting factoids about history and politics. So uh, if you have an opportunity to go into the archives and listen to the election podcast, give, give that a whirl. Winfrey and uh, Andrew Graham did a hell of a job. Myself and Alexis Haina reviewed the Hulu series Hellstrom. It's a really short show because we had almost nothing to say about it. It's not good. <laughs> but if you like hearing me and Alexis talk, and you've got 30 minutes to spare, go ahead and listen to the show. Which um, I do. Tonight, myself and Christian will be reviewing. This is like all of, all November. He got to pick every single book that we're doing, just about. All right. Because everything I picked fell apart. Um, well, tell me what tell me what you picked. Well, I mean, we were supposed to be doing Black Widow. That's gone. Right. Uh, we were supposed to be doing James Bond. That's gone. So... Um, <laughs> Bit. Yeah, this whole fucking month. Uh, so anyway, so uh, since I let him pick the entire month of November, he picked for the first book that we're going to look at in, in November, uh, Starman, Volume 1, Sins of the Father. Ooh, and that's then, a good one. Yeah, and then Wednesday, uh, myself and Jesse Starcher will review Striper, Even the Devil Believes, for those of you who are into yes. Christian heavy metal. Yes. Is that, is that a newer album? Yeah, that's the newest album. Holy cow. Just give yes. me a spoiler. How is it? It's great. I've actually read a few reviews on it, and people love it. I love Striper back in the day. Hell it was yeah. like it was, it was like the band that nobody would admit to loving. Like, 777, to hell with the devil. <laughs> Do you like Striper? <laughs> um, and then because this week is Veterans... Uh, this Wednesday is Veterans Day, uh, Andrew Graham and I do an annual tri tribute to the military show for uh, in honor of Veterans Day, or Remembrance Day, as it's called in Canada. So uh, Andrew usually gets to it's pick. Remembrance Day in Canada. Yes. Uh, yes, and so he got to pick the show that we're doing or the movie, and we are doing a show. We're doing Medal of Honor from Netflix, the eight episode docu series about people who have won the Medal of Honor. So oh, that's wow. what's uh, that's what's past, that's what's present, that's what's future. That's our show. I want to thank Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey for being here. And we'll uh, we'll be back for a Survivor Series, and then in February we'll be back for Revolution. Revolution, right, baby? All right, this has been TV Party tonight for Chris Bailey. I'm Mark Rattledge. Be well, be safe, and behave.